Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the Power Slam podcast here on Patreon at the early or wherever you get your podcasts on Friday. My name is Kenny McIntosh, joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin Finn. How are you today? Kenny, better than you. And if you can detect, you know, mm-hmm. some dispirited mood from my podcasting co-host, <laughs> because the saga continues, Kenny, doesn't it? I mean... I I've been very lucky that I'm 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 38 and I don't remember ever having a bag go missing at any point. And, you know, you always see when you get when you get to an airport, you see that kind of those sad little selection of bags that have not been collected in the corner. And I always thought, how does that happen? And I guess now I know, just incompetence. Just yeah. Happens. So, uh, but you know, hope, uh, we've been told it's going to come. So we'll see. By maybe by Tuesday it'll have arrived. But. Uh, yeah, it's you know, do you know what though? It could always be worse. It could be people dying in Africa. So you know, um, but I mean, it would be nice to have the bag back. Um, I actually it, first time I went to Vegas, Kenny, in '99 when I went to Halloween Havoc. Uh-huh. I bought a um, big fan of partner. She's a big fan of Gustav Klimt, right. and uh, there was a rug there in the the design of Gustav, famous Gustav Klimt painting. Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, wow, look at this! So we bought the rug. And that was really funny. We got to the uh, airport and the uh, the woman couldn't understand. And I said it was a rug. <laughs> she couldn't understand my northern accent. <laughs> What's a rug? She said, oh, a rug or something like that. <laughs> and that was, it's just like, wow, you know, I mean, how can we? We're speaking the same language here, but we weren't speaking the same language. So the uh, the, the rug or the rug went on the uh, in the hold. Obviously, I wasn't going to take it on the plane because it was a big rug. Uh-huh. And uh, it didn't arrive in Manchester. It got nicked. It got stolen in transit. And I did oh. put a claim in and uh, they paid for a new one. And I ordered it again. I had it sent FedEx and uh, got an, an, another rug or rug the following <laughs> month. All's well that ends well. Yes, that's, it, that, that's that's right. It did actually end well. But yeah, obviously it got nicked. So someone said, well, it probably got nicked by people. So said, it probably got nicked by people from the shop. It's like, shut up. Of course it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez oh but um yeah it's, it's it's one of those things where i mean these things these things happen but it's yeah it's just frustrating isn't it when it's uh when, when you when know it when happens to you when it happens to you but anyway enough about me and my woes and hopefully my uh hopefully my bag with the very expensive dyson hair dryer that i got as a gift last year will be with me soon um Anyway, we did say on Tuesday, not on Tuesday, yesterday, time is a vortex. Um, we did want to give a little uh, bit of time to Adrian Street, who passed away recently at age 82, I think he was. Yes. Um, Obviously, you know, a huge part of uh, British wrestling from back in the day. He was uh, in the front row at Clash at the Castle as well. So they kind of, you know, made him feel like he was 
he was, you know, a big deal as he was. Um, what were your thoughts on just kind of, I guess, the legacy of Adrian Street, uh, what he meant to wrestling? Uh, what were your thoughts? I mean, he was a pioneer, wasn't he, with his glam rock influenced uh, persona in the uh, 70s. Um, and um, I mean, he was before my time, really, as a fan of British wrestling. I don't remember him as a kid. And I do, I did watch World of Sport, not every week, but watched it quite a lot, pro wrestling, when it was on four o'clock originally. And then it was shown, uh, I think, 1230 uh, in later years. Um, so I don't remember him from that period of my sort of fandom or my uh, casual fandom. Um, the first time I recall seeing him was on Pro Wrestling Illustrated's famous Lords of the Ring tip, which was um, came out in the 80s. I think about 84, 85 it came out. And I remember watching that and just being blown away by how good that videotape was. It just featured clips from all sorts of territories, Memphis, Crockett Promotions, you know, Alabama, all these other territories. And Adrian Street was on that because he went over to, uh, emigrated to America. I think it was 80 or 81 he went over and worked in quite a few Southeastern territories. Um, and there was a very famous picture of him beating up Randy Savage uh, when Savage is bleeding. And he used that later in his career. Um, but I mean, yeah, he was he was a real, I mean, he was a guy that, you know, really hammed it up. You know, he was, um, it was obviously a very homophobic time in pro wrestling, wasn't it, Kenny, back in the early 80s. And, um, you know, he didn't say that he was gay, but he led people to believe that he was. And that was a big part of his heat. Um, and, you know, that was the way it was then. Wasn't it, Kenny, about that? I mean, it was still like that in 2002 with Billy and Chuck, let's be honest, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the era of the, the straight man playing the, the, the gay guy. But, yes. you know, he would ne- you would never see them, you know, you wouldn't see them, you, you would see the sort of like, you know, they do the, the sort of kiss to somebody as if like, oh my God, can you imagine? You know, yeah. like doing that to a guy. But, um, but it, I mean, it used to do... It used to do really well in wrestling. It used to. He be- did, yeah. I mean, it was a it was a heat seeking missile. You know, I mean, it was this was the thing that drew heat, and these were heel characters, and that's the way it was back then. And we can look back and say, "Wow, I'm so pleased that things have changed and moved on." Um, but that's the way it was then. So he absolutely exploited that. But he was very good at the character. And Miss Linda, who was future wife, of course. Um, she was his like assistant and she would actually get down on all fours at ringside and he would stand on her back to get into the ring. And that just infuriated, you know, fans even more that he would treat a woman this way. Um, but he was, yeah, very effective in the role. And, um, you know, there's a very famous picture of him. I think he was stood, uh, it was his father. He was a minor and his father's coming out of the pit and he's there in full glam gear. And there's this contrast between what his father did and what he was doing. You're know, looking like, you know, David Bowie or someone from, you know, the suite or Slade from the early 70s. So, I mean, he was he was definitely somebody who really, I mean, obviously, Gorgeous George, it's kind of done a similar gimmick in the 50s to huge success. And there was lots of Gorgeous George imitators. So he wasn't the first person to sort of, play this sort of guy who was over the top with the pizzazz and, you know, really um, in many ways, you know, exploiting homophobic tendencies of the audience. 
Um, but he was somebody who did it in a way that I don't think had been done before, and certainly not at that level. So he did very well in the UK, uh, but realised that there was more money to be made in the States, which, of course, there was in pro wrestling and still is to this day, and certainly was back then. There was no money in British wrestling in the um, you know 60s and 70s. I mean, he'd started, I think, in 1957. He made his debut very young. Um, but, he, yeah, he did very well in America, um, in the territories down there, and stayed there, um, opened his own wrestling school, uh, post-retirement school crushers, and um, so, I mean, that was always advertised in the magazines. He famously made uh, wrestlers gear as well. I believe he made uh, some gear for Mick Foley during his dude love phase. Did you hear that, Kenny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to bring that up. I, I heard that he'd made uh, some of dude loves gear, which was, yeah, was, I mean, I would, I would have never known that, but uh, he did. And, you know, good for him and, you know, keeping his career going in different ways. Definitely. And then in later years, he had something of a renaissance as a podcaster and personality. Um, I've got to say, I, I did consider interviewing him and I saw some of his interviews and he was still kayfabing. I don't think he was doing that at the end, but there was times slightly earlier when he kind of resurfaced. And it's like, hold on a second, it's the <laughs> it's the 2010s and you're kayfabing. So I never ended up reaching out to him to do an interview, which... In hindsight, it's a regret, Kenny. I think that would wouldn't would have been a really good interview for Power Slam or for you know ITR magazine or you know for ITR generally. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, that's that's the way it goes, isn't it? You can't do everything. But um, a real titan of the industry in his own way. Obviously, wasn't like a Hulk Hogan level star, but was a, a player for decades in many different roles, wore lots of different hats, and uh, was a real tough guy as well. So, uh, and, uh, you know, a nice guy as well to be around. Didn't, you know, didn't take any, um, you know, he was not somebody who was going to be made a fool of by people. So he he was definitely, you know, a man with a lot of pride. And, um, you know, somebody I think was a real credit to the industry um, in his own way. But I think for him to do that glam gimmick, kind of like 20 years before Gold Dust, really. In fact, more than 20 years before Gold Dust. Um, that must have taken some gumption. I bet people were saying, you're going to kill your career, Adrian, if you do this, because this is so over the top. This is so outrageous that you're just going to ruin your credibility. And that must have taken some courage, Kenny, to go in that direction with his career. Yeah, no, it must have. You know, I read an article, after, obviously, after he passed away, there was all this stuff that kind of comes out and, you know, you're reading stuff. And there was I, I didn't realise that he had uh, had some interaction with Jimmy Savile in the 70s where he had, like, had a match with him because they, they did something where Savile uh, wrestled. Um, and he did an interview at Adrian Street with, like, one, like, a Welsh paper. And he'd sort of said that, you know, Savile would go on about young girls who'd wait for him in line and, He'd said, uh, I think the line was, had I known the full extent of what I know about him now, I'd have given him even a bigger hiding were that physically possible. Um, and I think he's, you know, he talks about how he didn't really like the fact that this non-wrestler was coming in, and, uh, you know, being being very overly cocky about stuff. And um, it's just kind of interesting that he, you know, ran into him as well. I mean, he was around, he was around so much different stuff. Like yeah, said, the, yeah, the ramps, absolutely, the ramps. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Savile was part of wrestling and, he, you know, he brought a lot of attention to it. And obviously, 
what we know about Savile now and, you know, people, you know, a lot of people knew about what was going on with Savile when it was around. Oh, yeah. That's the really disturbing thing about Savile, you know, in addition, of course, to what he actually did. But I mean, the fact that people knew, you know, people knew what was going on and he wasn't stopped. And, you know, that there is, that's the thing you look back and you're like, why was more not done? Because people knew. So, um, but yeah, Savile was involved in pro wrestling for quite a while. And, you know, the famous The Wrestling Book that came out in, I believe it was 96 and 87, Savile was interviewed for that. Um, you know, and it was a different Savile. You know, people had a different, well, the public at least, had a different view of Savile then because most people didn't know, but people in the entertainment industry knew. And, um, you know, you look back on it and it's like, you know, more should have been done, you know, to nail that guy when he was alive. Well, it's even, so, it's, it's even like, I mean, I know we're kind of, it's a, it's a tangent, but you know, it's funny, like, I, when, and I never saw the, the Louis through Jimmy Savile thing in 2000 at the time. But, you know, when you watch that back now, because then obviously Luke through tried to revisit it and stuff, it was so painstakingly obvious that something was up yeah. with this guy. And it's, but I mean, it's, it's one of those things where in sort of pre, there's, there's a lot of things you could say that's bad about Twitter and social media and stuff. But one of the good things is, that kind of behavior just does not fly because people are calling it out all the time. Yeah. Um, had Twitter been around when that came out in 2000, I think, I think he would have been caught. I think he would have been hell accountable. But I mean, at least Adrian Street gave him a good hiding in 1971. We can at least uh, thank him for that. But yeah, yeah. it's, um, I mean, I, I do wonder if after this, that Adrian Street will be put in the WWE Hall of Fame, maybe in like the legacy wing thing that they yeah. do. I think he will be. I think he will be. And it, it was a really nice touch. Obviously, he was from Wales and Clash of the Castle was in Cardiff. So I think he will be. I think they will acknowledge him next year in the Hall of Fame. And they should do as well. I mean, he was a real pioneer, real innovator. And um, yeah, I mean, it must have taken some, wow, you know, for him to go in that direction, you know, given attitudes at the time. I mean, that was, you know, that was a big, big move and it paid off you know, massively for him. So, um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, a real, in his own way, a real giant of the industry. Um, so let's move on and talk about Monday Night Raw, the fallout from SummerSlam 48 hours before. Um, obviously, one of the big talking points was uh, the opening, there was the opening promo where Cody Rhodes had come out. Um, he's joined by Seth Rollins. I mean, what did you make of Je- uh, Jeff, Seth's uh, big yellow boots that he had on? Where does he get this stuff? I mean, I don't know. I have no idea, but people are probably designing it for him. Thinking, yes. right, that's maybe something Seth would wear. But it's hard to believe that they were like almost looked at the bottom like Crocs, didn't they? But yeah. they were like, you know, these giant sort of moon boots, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Not like something an astronaut would wear. Um, oh. I mean, he still managed to. I thought, is he, he can't really have much physical planned with him wearing those boots, but he did manage to do a few things at the end of the end of the segment. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, they were uh, maybe a tribute to Adrian Street. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But yeah, he looked he looked mental as usual, and then they were kind of, you know, teasing maybe having a match, and then the Judgment Day came out, um, without Finn Balor, we should say, and. Uh, then Finn Balor attacked Rollins uh, out of nowhere, so then they all start uh, beating up the baby faces. Sami Zayn comes out to make the save, and Cody wanted a six-man tag uh, judgment day against Cody Rollins and Sami. 
Um, and then, of course, we saw Sammy's elbow later, which, you know, when when uh, they... Because backstage, we sort of... Uh, we had the whole thing where Sammy was kind of taking out the match. I mean, that elbow thing, reminiscent of John Cena in 2013, with the... Mm-hmm. Remember when he came out after SummerSlam and had that horrible thing on his elbow? Yeah. Um but so, so anyway, so Sammy was taken out and it all led to Shinsuke Nakamura being added to the, the main event. So we got the big six-man tag and, of course, the outcome after uh, Sammy's end come out to sort of even the odds. Um, the baby faces won, Cody set to Nakamura, and then afterwards when Cody and Rollins are celebrating, Nakamura strikes and uh, he ticks Rollins and kind of leaves as if he's just like, you know, going to get the bus. Uh, he's turned... Um, I guess a lot to unpack there, but what did you make of the way they ultimately set up? Uh, I guess the next challenger for Seth. Yeah, well, I mean, there was there was a, quite a few things going on here. There's a lot of moving parts. I mean, when Cody came out, huge cheer, huge cheers for him. He claimed not to know that you know Brock Lesnar was going to shake his hand after SummerSlam. He said, "After SummerSlam, I feel on top of the world. After SummerSlam, I feel like I could beat anybody in the world." And that was when Rollins came out with his yellow sunglasses and moon boots on. Rollins said he should put Rhodes's feeling to the test, and that led to the Judgment Day came coming out. Um, and you know that there was like a big kickoff after that. They ended up fighting, and that led to the six man, as you said, Sami Zayn was taken out. And then Shinsuke Nakamura volunteered to replace Sami Zayn um, to Seth Rollins. And Rollins, you know, almost, he wasn't enthusiastic about adding Nakamura to the team, but realized that he needed somebody. And after Rollins left, we had that lingering close-up on Nakamura, you know, who looked like a predator. He looked like a lion. He was about to, you know, eat a big juicy steak. So, I mean, they definitely dropped some hints that something was afoot and that Nakamura might turn. And I think it's a good role for him. It's hard for me to believe that Nakamura is going to headline payback, but, I mean, maybe he will. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I've got to say earlier in the year, someone wrote in and said, what's going on with Shinsuke Nakamura? Do you think they've dropped the ball with him or what? And I said, no, there's no mileage left in him. They need to just get, I didn't say they need to get rid of him. I, I, I stated that in the next round of cuts, which never came, by the way, did it, Did it, Kenny? There was no post-WrestleMania layoffs this year. No, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, if I was somebody like Elias, I'd probably be worried that the phone never rings. But um, yeah, we, we've not had any in a while. It hasn't happened. So and Nakamura, I think, has had some good performances lately. And I think he did well here in the six-man main event. And here he is. He's now presumably, well, he's obviously going to have a match with, with Rollins. Is it going to be a towel match? Probably. So he's he feels like he's back on top and relevant again. So he showed me, Kenny. Wrong again, Finley. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought it was I thought it was a nice way of moving on, in a sense, from SummerSlam while not moving on, because Balor and Rollins, it still feels like there's something in that. We feel like you know, Balor and Priest, that could potentially be a feud in future. I mean, there was like, you know, a showdown backstage, wasn't there, between Balor and Priest and Rhea Ripley had to get involved and tell them to stop acting like children. JD McDonough was there. He'd been disappeared for a while and how he's been reinserted into the story again, which is obviously good for him, given the ease with which 
he was eliminated from the Battle Royal at SummerSlam. I'm sure he was relieved when he heard that he was going to be part of this story again. So, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts here, Kenny. And uh, I think it's a really good story in the sense that, you know, we could, the teasing Rollins Rhodes. We we know that Rollins Ballard is still something left in that, probably not as a premium live event main event but, or, or premium live event title match. But we know that that's not over yet. We've got Rollins and Priest because Priest has got the money in the band briefcase. And now we've got Rollins and Nakamura. So, yeah, I think they did a really good job here. Just giving us lots to think about. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Yeah, and I think um, I think I think Rollins and Nakamura could be it could be a payback match because I guess if you've got both brands and you've got, but then again, if if Reigns isn't on it, maybe you need a bigger match for Seth. Um, I'm curious what Cody's going to do between sort of now and Royal Rumble because there's yeah. really a clear path for what he's going to do. Maybe 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 he is going to be partnered up against uh, the Judgment Day. In some way, but because uh, I know Triple H yesterday tweeted out the poster for Payback, and it's the Judgment Day with Finn Balor front and center. So I guess maybe, maybe they're a big part of it, maybe they're not. But um, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was good. I mean, sometimes I mean they have been known to actually put posters out there featuring people that are not even on the show. Yeah, sorry, because there's there's like so many examples. There's the, there's the Armageddon. Was it? Oh, there was like an Armageddon one where Undertaker was on the cover and he, he was out injured for like months. There's been ones where like Triple H was on it, but he wasn't back yet. So yeah, but I mean, you you would think now in 2023 they're a bit better at that. Yeah, they don't. You know, before I guess back in the day, you had to do these posters months in advance. Yes, so that they were out to the pay per view providers and everything. But now you can kind of do it whenever you want. You can, yeah, you can change it in an hour, can't you? So. Uh, but yeah, so that that was what was going on uh, with the sort of main event scene. Um, <clears throat> we then had a, a four way match um, with for, so because Chad Gable had um, oh, sorry Ricochet uh, was complaining to Adam Pierce about Logan Paul using the brass knucks. Uh, Pierce apologized. You know, I can't really do anything about that now, but what I can do is put you in this four way match um, to get a shot at the IC title. So there's Ricochet, Chad Gable, Champa, and Matt Riddle. Um, and in the end, Chad Gable got the win here, big win for him. And Gable then had his son, who was wearing a little singlet over his shoulder and doing a lap around the ring. And it was a very sweet moment. Um, oh yeah, doing that victory lap there. And yeah, you know, you're, he's, he's, if he one day becomes 
like a wrestler. Well, he probably will become a wrestler, let's be honest. But will he become a pro wrestler? I don't know. And that'll, that'll be something that will be used in years to come. So, uh, but yeah, great action. Um, tremendous sequences in this four-way match. In the end, uh, Gable went for the Chaos Theory suplex. And on the third attempt, he tried it on uh, on your know, Riddle and Ricochet and finally hit it on Champa. Uh, and scored the pin and a uh, huge response. I mean, Gable's kind of, I mean, it was held in, Raw was held in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Gable's a local, so he had that, you know, local support. And it was the right outcome on the night. And certainly after the match he'd had with Gunter the previous week, which went down a storm, um, you know, it feels like, you know, this is a just reward for Chad Gable, who we've been championing for some time, haven't we, Kenny? Yes, yes, we, he can do. He can do it all. He's he can do comedy. He can do serious. He can make you think. I mean, cause remember when he had when he was in that awful shorty G gimmick, but he had like an excellent match with Baron Corbin that we were yeah. talking about. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you can have an excellent match under those circumstances with Baron Corbin as shorty G, then you could probably do anything. Oh, definitely. I mean, he's. I mean, we know that. Gunter's not losing the belt before September 9th or 10th or whenever it is that he uh, breaks um, Honky Tonk Man's record. Um, but, I mean, it can be a big match. And, um, you know, once he's broken that record, you know, we know that then Gunter can lose the title and I think his matches will be more enjoyable. That knowledge will be implanted that, yes, he could lose the championship tonight. And I'd be all for, um, for Gable being the guy, you know, to end his reign. I mean, it sounds sort of ambitious, you know, go, why is Gay? Why are you picking Gable? But, I mean, he's been there a long time. He's never really been... I mean, okay, he had the run last year with Otis and they were champions, you know, and, and some really fun stuff there with Riddle and Randy Orton. But, I mean, so much more could have been done with them as champions. It felt like, you know, it was they lost the belts prematurely and I think the, I think the audience is behind him and I think the company is as well. So it's not beyond the realms of, you know, possibly, you know, and maybe it seems unlikely that it'll beat Gunter, but he could, you know, after mid-September. Yeah, and I think one of the things, as we kind of talk about this Raw, that, that I think is really good is that, I mean, we because we've been covering Raw now for, what, five years? Six years? Oh, yeah, it's 2017 we started. Yeah, so six, six years we've been covering it. And for I would say for the first kind of four years, five years, four, four years to five, it was fairly easy to just cover Raw within part of a podcast. And I think that's more challenging now because so much happens on Raw. Yeah. It never used to be the case. I don't know if you feel that way, but it, I feel like it never used to be the case where there was so much stuff that you kind of had to give a mention to. Um, and I think that's one of the things that Triple H has done well is make there be more stuff that you have to kind of give a bit of time to because it's relevant to the show and what's going to happen the following week. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, you know, the frequent complaint about Raw, and it was accurate, I mean, certainly my opinion, was that show dragged. And people were like, when's it going back to two hours? And, you know, I don't know whether people write that or say that anymore. I don't hear that as much as I used to. And it feels to me like that three hours just whizzes by because it's there's something happening in every match or every segment usually that's interesting and certainly um on the august 7th episode i mean it was just it was just yeah every single part of the show to me achieved something yeah there's there's very rarely something where it's not consequential 
Um, and speaking of, you know, we talked about Gable there, and then we had that interesting segment where Ludwig Kaiser comes into um, to Alpha Academy's locker room, um, and Maxine Defees, you know, say, "What are you doing here?" And uh, he ended up, you know, he he was talking about how great Europe is and compared it to the freak that she runs around with, and she slaps him, and um, when he then is gonna sort of come back at her. Otis is there and it sets up a match later in the show where uh, Ludwig ends up defeating Otis um, and Kaiser sort of smiling at Maxine. So, and then obviously Gable comes out to kind of make the save. But I mean, this was a bit of a, you know, Alpha Academy kind of been doing all this comedy stuff, but this was quite serious. I was I was impressed that they're kind of getting to show a bit more layers to their act than they have before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it sort of feels, you know, our Imperium trying to recruit Maxine. Well, it appears so. Or uh, Imperium going to add a female member. I mean, maybe. Um, but that's definitely the direction they're going in. Um, yeah, Otis versus Kaiser. Gunter came out and he kicked Otis and Kaiser scored the pin. Um, and then Chad Gable arrived and ran off Gunter. So, um so, yeah, they're definitely building something up here. It's all connected, of course, to Gable receiving the shot at the IC title. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. I mean, it's too soon for Maxine to leave the Alphas. So maybe Imperium brings someone up. I'm not sure who that would be. I can't imagine who that yeah. would be. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's pl- I mean, there's plenty of female talent in NXT that they could bring up. I suppose it would have to be somebody from Europe. Would it have to be somebody from Europe? I think it would. Yeah, or, or unless somebody could uh, could play the, the part very well. But, well, yes. But yes. I guess that, that's one of the downfalls to NXT being on USA Network is that it's more difficult to find an unknown that can come up and do something because you you've seen everybody to an extent. But I mean... I guess I, 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 you could do it. I mean, if you just bring somebody up and pretend that they're not who they were in NXT, you could do that as well. Yeah. Or maybe Maxine can do the, you know, the undercover ruse where she's yep. seduced by Kaiser and Imperium and goes, you know, undercover to infiltrate them, you yep. know, and destroy them or hurt them from <laughs> within. Maybe that could be a direction. And Chad would be like, what's happening? I can't believe it. And Otis would be there, like, you know, hamming it up. You know, watch Maxine doing, and that wouldn't be a that would probably be a pretty good story. We haven't seen that for a little while, actually, have we? On do yeah, we, do no, we, ha- we haven't. And I think I think there's there's a lot more mileage in Maxine with Alpha Academy. So I hope that if they do go down that route, it's kind of what you say of you know, if she does it, she's really doing it for the benefit of Alpha Academy. Yes. Um, which is, I don't know why in the last few weeks I find it very difficult to not say American Alpha. It is, it, it's, you know, it's the way sometimes you, we were talking about this in, uh, yesterday, sometimes something leaves your brain, you think you've totally got it, and yeah. then, you know, Io Shirai comes up, or American Alpha comes up, and you're like, oh, damn it. Um, yeah. Oh, we had enough trouble with Raquel, didn't we? Oh, we, gosh. We it's definitely Rodriguez, and he changed the name for some reason after she left NXT. Um, anyway, so speaking of the, the, the women, we had Becky Lynch coming out to do a promo, and then Zoe Stark came out to interrupt her. And they're kind of going back and forth, and Becky's saying that Zoe Stark plays second fiddle to Trish. Um, but then Shayna Baszler comes out to interrupt. She had a a, a black eye, um, and she uh, said that uh, you know Becky should see how Ronda Rousey looks, and sort of took credit for getting getting her out of WWE, which the fans are very happy about. Um, 
I mean, I mean uh, at least Baszler, we know, is a baby face here. You know, we, yeah. we oh yeah, she's definitely a baby face. We we can we can de- we can decipher that now. Yes, um, and then this led to Shayna going to have a match with Zoe Stark. Becky Lynch was at the at the, uh, the announce table. That she had put Becky had put a, a sort of sassy tweet out about you know making lemonade uh, or making lemons at lemonade, obviously. So then she's drinking a lemonade. So they sort of referenced that. Um, and this Shayna and Zoe Stark match was like almost twelve minutes. Um, what did you make of the sort of decision to give this quite a bit of time? I mean, it was it was slow, um, and you know it picked up. You know, when Stark does that springboard drop kick, people are impressed by that. And this is how you get someone over. It's like if they don't have much personality, they need some big slam bang moves. You know, some high impact. Wow, you need those big moves, but not too many to where it's overkill. Um, I mean, Baszler looked rough. I mean, she looked like she'd been through a through a war against Ronda, which was the idea. Um, and in the end, it took her three attempts to hit the world's baddest slam. As if Stark didn't know it was the finish, I didn't know what to do. So that looked pretty rough, uh, which is Piper's, uh, sorry, Ronda's old Piper's pit move. So Baszler is now, you know, she's like keeping that going. She's keeping the tradition alive. She's taking that move over. Um, yeah, I think it. I think it would have been better if it'd been shorter, um, and maybe Lynch could have been involved more. But I suppose the idea was, well, Baszler scored this huge win over Ronda. This is her chance. This is her moment. We like Zoe Stark because. You know, she's talented, even though she's not much into her personality. So let's give them some minutes and see what they can do. But I think I think they were out there too long. That's what that's my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I think it suffered from what we were talking about yesterday with, you know, not really knowing who's the babyface and who's the heel in the Shayna program. I think the, the crowd just, even though they were very happy that she got rid of Ronda, they're not, they don't have that emotional attachment to Shayna yet. And I think that, it was a tough ask for them to go out there for 12 minutes without the sort of, you know, because Zoe Stark obviously is kind of Trish Stratus's second in command. I think if Trish had been there, that would have helped the, the crowd. But um, I mean, I, I don't think they were bad. I just think the, the, the crowd wanted characters they cared about more. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you, they went, but I mean, also, you know, if, if it had been two minutes, people would have been quite upset. So yeah. I guess you've got to balance it out. But I mean, you know, it's it's funny. The women, the women's wrestling debate right now is quite funny because, you know, on in AEW, for example, Tony Khan's been getting a lot of criticism for the book of the women's division, as he should. Yes. Um, and then last night he had Hikaru Shida and Anna Jay in the main event, and I mean that's not a main event match at no. all. So it's I I, th- I think sometimes when there's criticism, you know, bookers like Triple H or like Tony Khan feel that they have to do something to combat that. More often than not, what people want is better storylines rather than yeah, you know, just giving a little bit more time to a match. If any, that, if yeah, happens. yeah. Don't overreact to the criticism. You know, do what makes sense. You know, and people will understand that it makes sense if it makes sense. You know, don't you know, just like knee jerk reactions never work. You just never do. With Basler, what they need to do with her is we need she needs to become she needs to come across as likable. We need to see her as a baby face. His problem was after this, she then challenged Becky Lynch backstage, didn't she? Yep. So it's like, oh, 
so she's challenging Becky Lynch now. And she didn't really do it in a heelish way, but we know Becky Lynch is a babyface and people like her. And now Baszler's challenging Lynch. It's like, oh, I, I don't know what's going on. The whole, this whole Baszler, Ronda Rousey thing, at least Ronda's gone now, which I'm very relieved about. But Baszler, they just got to just get a grip, WWE. You know, <laughs> what is she? Who is she? You know, if she want to get her over as a babyface, You've got to find some likable... And we know she's likable. I mean, remember the Maximum Male Model appearance in the Maximum Male Models thing, which that hilarious segment they did? And she came across really likable in that. I've seen other segments they've done on her. And I think she is a likable character. And I'm not sure why they're not conveying that to the public, you know, relaying that to the public on TV. Get it together, WWE. Get it together. It wasn't. We mentioned earlier that Sami Zayn was taken out of the main event, and he was taken out of the main event by J.D. McDonough, who has not been around for a little while. But uh, we had a backstage segment before where uh, Balor was talking to him, and then Damien Priest interrupted, and he's sort of saying, you know, Priest was annoyed that Balor had come out earlier to attack Rollins, but not let them know. And Balor was like, well, I made my own plan up, because you didn't stick to the plan at SummerSlam, and they're bickering, and then Rhea sh- shows up, and she's trying to, like, you know, keep them apart. Um, and then McDonough pipes up and says, you know, uh, I might be out of line here, but, you know, I think the briefcase has come between you guys. Maybe you should get rid of it, McDonough said. And then, obviously, shortly after, McDonough attacked Sammy, which then led to him being taken out of the main event. So we're back in the, the JD McDonough, I guess, maybe insertion it in the Judgment Day. How did you feel about uh, bringing him back into the story? Well, it's good for him. That's for sure. <laughs> it's very good for it. Is it good for us, though, is the question. Well, I mean, I was never really a fan of his in NXT UK. And then he had that brief run in NXT America. And he he just sort of looked like he was in over his head. But then when they brought him back, he went there permanently. I thought he did well. I thought he got over as, you know, this character. He was almost like he was I'm like a former chiropractor. And I know the weakness on this person and I know how to exploit it, you know, blah, 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 you know? So, I mean, the character is kind of like an old school character, you know, which was, you know, the chiropractor character was like a territory heel thing. He come in, I, this man knows how, knows the weaknesses of everyone, you know? So, and back in the day, I think it worked quite well, but I think McDonough did well as a, as a wrestler, in NXT America when he was there full time. And I think he did get over as a heel as well. People did, you know, warm or cool to him, which, however you want to phrase it. Um, I mean, this is, you know, this is like deeper waters. This is a much bigger you know, ocean for him to swim in and get over in. Um, but I think with Balor by his side, he, he may have a shot of, of making it. I don't know. Um, you know, I've been wrong about him before. I think he's very talented. Um, and I think he does have something to offer, but it's all about. But I think also, I think he plays the heel rather than the face. That's that's his preferred role. So I think Balor's going face. So maybe McDonough stays with the Judgment Day, and we have Balor McDonough, which probably would be a good gig for McDonough as well. Yeah, I mean, he's. I think he's definitely been put in a position <clears throat> due to his friendship with Balor. Yeah, you know, that, but that's fine. I mean, look, people get that happens all the time in wrestling. Will he be able to step up? I think he's he's playing his role perfectly well now. But I think the Judgment Day is a big act, and he's going to have to have a sink or swim. 
I don't know which one it's going to be. I yeah, also, I mean, you've, got, you've got to give people a chance. I mean, you've got to. I mean, this is something we, we've complained about in the past where new acts were not given a chance to get over and make it. And sometimes you've got to take risks. I mean, you know, Dominic Mysterio, case in point last year, it's like he could have like trundled along as, you know, Ray's tag team partner. Um, and him turning on Ray at Clash of the Castle last year was a big move for him. And I imagine he was, you know, there was some trepidation there over, was this the right move for my career? And obviously it was. But you've got to take those risks and you've got to give people a chance to make it. And if you don't, then you'll be stuck with the same stars over and over for years to come. Yeah. I mean, I will just say <clears throat> on a personal note, I hate the name J.D. McDonough. I hate it. I think it's just so rubbish. But maybe it'll grow on me. I hated the name Dolph Ziggler at first. I mean, I, I didn't grow to ever like that name. But, you know, I got used yeah. to it, is the point. Yeah, I, I never liked Dolph Ziggler either. So, still don't, never will. <laughs> uh, last two things about Raw. Uh, the New Day did return, offering absolutely nothing fresh or original. And um, felt they were just playing their greatest hits tour. Yeah, and they want to become tag team champions. So, I mean, you know, they did well in NXT. I thought they were very productive there really put people over um and um you know but on the main roster it's different because they were treated as obviously bigger stars in nxt because they were bigger stars than most people in nxt uh but i thought what they did there was was you know really helpful um but i don't really have any great desire to see them have another having another run at the tag team belts um no. and they defeated the viking raiders here so, I mean, he looked really good in the ring. I've got to say, Kofi, you know, really is co- obviously completely recovered from his ankle injury and he moves so well in the match. And it's great it's, to see him back. It would just be good to see them do something, a, a bit of a twist on the original gimmick. Cause... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so played out. It's been played out for years. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's like, it's like a second match gimmick, isn't it? Uh, that young people would do. I mean, these guys are getting on a bit now, aren't they? You know? I mean, I'll give you an example. So when when we were in, uh, we were at, I was doing the press morning in uh, in in Detroit, and I was talking to uh, Connor Casey, who works at ComicBook.com, and his camera guy Liam was there, and he said to me, "Oh, you're Kenny McIntosh. You used to do the walk culture stuff." I said, "Yeah," and he said, "Oh, I grew up on your stuff." <laughs> which makes you want to throw yourself through a wall but he would have been about 14 or 15 I guess in 2016 when yeah. I was there and the reason I bring that up is because that was when the New Day were relevant 2016 seven years ago so yeah. a lot of time has passed and you know you need to be able to change with the times uh, in wrestling otherwise you become Dolph Ziggler so um, yeah. I, I, I actually, even though they're on different brands, I actually think New Day would be a, a good act for Pretty Deadly to have a program with and Deadly to beat in the end. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Uh, you know, they, they are at the point where if they're not going to change, they should just be putting people over. But um, yeah. I thought Kofi looked really good, and I, I'm glad to see him back. I'm glad he's healthy. Um, but speaking of people who you know, we you know, the New Day are have been around for a long time and they've kind of not changed it up. Uh, somebody who's been around for a long time that continues to be able to be relevant is The Miz. He came out here um, and basically wanted to you know, talk to LA Knight. And LA Knight comes out and we got a very interesting promo where Miz is kind of baiting LA Knight and telling him what he thinks of him. And LA Knight's like, you know, I've not got a problem with you. Don't make this personal. 
and then Miz continues to make it personal, so Ellie Knight uh, decides to do it back to him, and they have this. Uh, the reason I, I that this segment I, I felt like it really connects is because people who don't watch Raw were texting me about it, and were saying, "Have you seen this segment yet with Ellie Knight and the Miz? It was really, really good." And I, sometimes when you get people who don't usually watch the show who are messaging you about it, you know that something's going to happen. And I'd got that before I'd watched it. So uh, what did you make of this segment and, I guess, potential mini-program for me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Miz, it was as if someone had said to Miz, right, if you don't bring it tonight, Miz, you're fired. And he's probably thinking, oh, no, I've got that big mansion. I've got that expensive lifestyle. It's like, I feel like I'm a star, but really, what am I going to do without WWE? It was just <laughs> somebody like, you know, just lit a fire under the Miz. Mm-hmm. And the Miz was just like, oh, I mean, this, this is just raging, wasn't it? He was just furious. He was like taking out all his frustration on LA Knight over the way in which he's been used this year. I'm a locker room leader. I'm a star. You know, people mm-hmm. are telling me, and, you know, it's funny that, you know, Miz is obviously now in his 40s. And he's been there since, is it 2005? I think he was added to the main roster, wasn't he? I think yeah, because he did tough enough in 04. Yes. And I, I mean, I, I remember when he first came in and you heard all the stories and, you know, JBL was burying him week after week, calling him like a Kardashian brother and he's a <laughs> reality TV star. He doesn't belong here. You know, and it's funny that they keep bringing up the, you know, the, you know, the story, the locker room story with the, uh, you know, obviously never mentioned it was Chris Benoit that threw him out for obvious reasons. Um, you know, the eating the chicken story in the locker room. And it's strange, isn't it, how often that gets brought up? Mm-hmm. I don't know why they keep bringing that one up, because it's obviously a long time ago. And he came in there with a, he was a marked man, let's be honest. Uh, the Miz when he first joined WWE and uh, he survived and became a huge star and I was a huge fan of his he was the first person to be on said this before first person to be on two consecutive covers of Power Slam in 2010 and um, you know I I always thought he was the. I mean I'm a huge fan of anyone right who works hard it doesn't matter what you do I don't care what your job is if you work hard and you do that job to the best of your abilities, and you get on, then I'll respect you for it. And I was always a big admirer of The Miz because he was a guy that had to overcome an amazing amount of opposition from his peers and from the creative team as well, who said he was never going to make it. And he became champion, and he headlined WrestleMania. Obviously, the WrestleMania match was garbage, uh, but he still got there. And... um, you know, and he's and he's a survivor. You know, it was 2011, wasn't he, that he headlined WrestleMania, mm-hmm. and here we are in 2023. And has he proved against LA Knight? He's still got it. He can still go. And it seemed like Knight was slightly intimidated by the Miz to me, because the Miz came at him with such ferocity that Knight was almost like I think he actually blew a line slightly. He did recover. Yeah, uh, so he said, "Oh, you, you know, something about his career being in the toilet." And he kind of blew it, but did manage to turn it around. And the fans were still behind Knight, so Miz didn't bury him. I was almost detecting some sort of, you know, Cena-type you know, vibes from the Miz, where he was trying to, um, you know, basically slow the momentum of this new guy. But I think Knight still handled himself well 
and he ended up nailing Miz with Bump Falls trauma, and everyone cheered. But this was a tour de force from the Miz here, and he he was like, it was almost like you know the interview for like a this is my job interview for a bigger spot on Raw. That's what I saw it as. Mm-hmm. I, I I thought you were going to say that uh, with Miz, you get you've got great respect for anyone who can overcome the burial of John Cena. <laughs> Well, I mean, also that as well. I mean, what yeah. a terrible time he had against Cena. Awful. I didn't. I wasn't going to bring that up because that kind of goes without saying. But oh my <laughs> god, he had a terrible time. Him and Alex Riley. Oh, because Mez, Mez was the sort of person Cena did appalling. Yeah, well, yeah, because you know we've talked before about on the overrun stuff about people that you put on the cover. You know, like a Del Rio or a Swagger or whatever. Who you know they were trying, but it was never really going to work. Whereas with Mez, it was like I remember going to shows and. People, re- he was really getting over, and he was really doing well, and it just felt like, you know, Cena just couldn't have it, couldn't have it. Yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, well, listen, that that that's everything for Raw. So much stuff this week. So, um, we'll, it'll be good next week to see what the 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 next chapter is. We'll talk about the Roman Reigns, uh, Jimmy Uso segment that's happening tomorrow night on SmackDown. So we'll be doing all, doing all that on what's going down. But uh, hail go- to the chief, hail to the chief. Um, but yeah, we will be uh, doing an overrun. We'll talk some wrestling news this weekend over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash inside the ropes. So, uh, yes, thank you for all your support. We really do appreciate the people, don't we, son? Of course, we do, absolutely, we do. So, uh, yeah, we enjoy doing these podcasts. Hopefully, that comes across. Yeah. We do. We have we have a blast doing them. Uh, it doesn't doesn't feel like work at all. Just chatting no. and you know getting to analyze wrestling. It's fun. Yes, and we have got some you know fun stuff coming up later in the month, and yep. you know announcement later in the month as well about something new we're going to be doing uh, probably starting in September. So uh, yeah, lots of good stuff coming up, Kenny. Indeed, indeed. So thank you for all your support as always. We'll talk to you soon. I'll be tonight, I'll be tonight.